When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Flowered Path. How are you doing tonight, Justin? Good. That's good to have you here. And tonight's episode is on St. Perpetua, which you did the research and recording for. What made you decide to tackle St. Perpetua? She is somebody that hears off and on in my life, I suppose. I think probably the biggest impact that she had was when I was searching for um, something about Justin Martyr, St. Justin Martyr, and I found out that there's a comic publishing company called Kingston Comics. They made a comic about St. Justin Martyr and one about St. Perpetua, and it's run by Protestants, so that's what's really weird, and when you look at the comics they change some things about these saints to make them not so catholic ah yeah yeah. (laughs) and they don't refer to them as saints but the artwork for saint perpetua the cover art is just amazing to me it was really impactful when i saw her um they have her standing bloody in a coliseum in the iran's posture that prayer posture it was just really really powerful imagery i even asked them for a print of it and they were like no we don't got those (laughs) so i'm just like why not i got the comic and what you'll hear in her story she's quite well known among historians because she is the i don't know if i should say only but or earliest but one of female ancient autobiographies and it gives you like this real first hand 
look at life in ancient Rome and the gladiatorial games and things like that. That was something else that impacted me about her because I used to hear about like Christians being thrown to the lions and such in the Colosseum, and I, I'm not sure I ever actually believed those stories. They just seemed like something out of a cartoon or something. And then to find out, oh, wait, no, somebody actually wrote an autobiography of this happening to themselves. <laughs> yeah. So that was another impact about it. And today, with my work in criminal defense, I see she has another special meaning and impact to me because her and the other martyr, Felicity, they were both pregnant and given birth to newborns, and they were there in the prison. And this is not unique to ancient Rome. We're still doing this today to women. Mm. It really impacts me because sure. yeah. it's just like, what about the baby? What happens to the baby? Or they'll be in prison while pregnant. But that's a whole other discussion. I noticed that it read a bit different than some of the other hagiographies I'd done. It does feel more like a historical document or, or an autobiography. This really felt impactful. It really did feel like an autobiography. You could feel the weight of her story uh, as yeah. you were reading it. Yeah. I think it's a bit underplayed when you read about her, but she was also like a mystic. And she's relating to us her the visions that she was receiving. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest ones for me is she does have a vision of purgatory and she's praying for the deceased. And it's one of those things where it's just like, well, for one, that was omitted from the Protestant I would think they would have, <laughs> Didn't yeah. have that. Yeah. And because what, what can you do about that? This is second century. Mm -hmm. And here you have a Christian woman just praying for the dead. Sure. And if she was doing it, she wasn't the only one. It's not like she made that up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing vision, too. I think the visions she has in here are quite beautiful. A lot of the imagery seem kind of familiar with other visions shared among mystics as well. You know, certainly unique things, but also not like, I don't know, not like she was writing a movie script or something. Like, mm -hmm. they do seem to ring true among mystical visions. Well, before we get to St. Perpetua, we've got some news stories to talk about. And before we get to the news stories, I have some shout-outs. I'd like to thank Chad Jacobs and Andrew Childress for becoming patrons of The Flowered Path. Thank you so much. Your support really, really helps. If you would like to support The Flowered Path, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. All patrons get commercial-free versions of the show while Rose and Orchid Tier patrons get exclusive episodes, other bonus content, and shout-outs on the show. I dropped a, I think it's the fourth episode of the podcast within a podcast I do called Petals and Thorns, which is a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more to do with my own sort of personal spiritual journey. And that's just for patrons. Orchid Tier patrons get monthly merch mailings on top of all the other bonuses, and... 
It's a surprise. I haven't mailed out this month yet, so I'm not announcing what it is until the Orchideer patrons get theirs. If this sounds good to you, you can check out the options at patreon.com slash thefloweredpath or go to thefloweredpath.com. You can click the support button there. There's a link to Patreon there and also a PayPal button if you want to make a one-time donation. We got saints in the news. This is from the National Catholic Register, January 23rd, 2024. Beatification advances for tortured martyr of the sacrament of confession. On November 6, 1983, a barefoot man with his hands tied behind his back was seen fleeing across the street in downtown Guatemala City, dodging oncoming traffic on Santa Elena Avenue in the capital of the Central American Republic. He cried out, Help! Help, they're trying to kill me. Following behind was a car bearing his assassins, probable members of Guatemalan security forces. Within seconds, he was struck down, shot eight times. He was still breathing as he agonized on the pavement. One of his pursuers finished him off with a bullet in the head. The killers then followed police procedure, as if they were ordinary cops, and strung yellow tape around the perimeter, awaiting the arrival of an ambulance and a justice of the peace. An ambulance driver recorded that whoever shot him remains unknown, while the justice would later write that the priest died under as yet unknown circumstances. Those are the bare facts of the martyrdom of Franciscan Father Augusto Ramirez Monasterio, one of many in a decades-long civil war in Guatemala which pitted official security forces against Catholic clergy, Marxist guerrillas, political dissidents, and the poor. He was not the only member of the clergy and religious who was murdered during the conflict. The list includes American missionary priest Blessed Stanley Rother. At the time of the Franciscans' death, 13 priests had been murdered since 1978, presumably by security forces in Guatemala. That month, the Conference of Bishops of Guatemala issued a pastoral letter entitled Confirmed in the Faith that denounced the persecution and harassment of the Church by the government. At his inaugural Mass in 1967, as a newly ordained priest, Friar Augusto read from the Gospel of Matthew, And fear ye not them that kill the body, and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that can destroy both the soul and body in hell. That's from Matthew 10.28. In an interview with the Register, Franciscan Father Edwin Alvarado said, This reveals that Friar Augusto's life was preparation for his death. He should figure among other notable Guatemalans, such as poets and artists, Father Edwin said as a martyr of charity and a saint of the sacrament of confession. As his canonization process unfolds, he is a great example for confessors, priests, and laity. In 1983, he served as Father Superior of Franciscans and pastor of San Francisco El Grande Church in Antigua, a city known for its colonial churches just 14 miles from the capital. Known for his radio program and work for the poor, he encouraged youngsters to learn to play music. He was never associated with Marxist groups but did defend teenage boys from roundups seeking army conscripts. Safeguarding the Sacrament After de facto President Efrain Rios Montt offered amnesty to Marxist guerrillas, Fidel Corroy, a member of the Mayan people, went to San Francisco El Grande on June 2, 1983 to confess his sins and seek amnesty. Corroy had already tried to surrender, 
but later said Guatemalan authorities only wanted to put him in the grave. After his confession, Friar Augusto took him to the local mayor's office to obtain identity documents required for amnesty. Authorities told them to go to the nearby village of Paramos for the documents. Friar Augusto drove Coroy to the village police station, taking along with them altar boys Luis Quino, 11, and Antonio Molina, 18. When they arrived at the police station in Paramos, the priest told the boys to remain in the car and not give their real names to the police. Coroy and the friar went into the station, where the officer refused to issue an ID for Coroy and accused him of being a guerrilla leader. Soldiers arrested the friar, Coroy, and the two boys. Coroy was separated from his companions, who were in an office for hours, awaiting their fate throughout the afternoon. They had no word about Coroy's condition, but about eight o'clock that evening they heard him scream from another room, Go ahead and kill me, but leave them alone. The soldiers seized Friar Augusto and the two boys, blindfolded them, and tied their hands behind their backs. In an interview with the register, Kino recalled, The soldiers threatened us. I could feel that a gun was put against my head and expected death. Separated from the friar, they were driven to another place where they were thrown into a trench. They were exposed to winter rain as they spent the night with other prisoners, not knowing the friar's fate. In the morning, the boys were released and found Friar Augusto waiting for them in the car he had driven to town. After signing a document claiming he had not been harmed, the priest and boys were allowed to return home. He did not tell them what he had endured that night. Later accounts showed that Friar Augusto had been tortured by his military captors, who stripped and strung him up by his wrists, subjecting him to beatings and burns. Several ribs were broken, but he refused to reveal what Coroy had told him, safeguarding the sacrament of confession. Thus began a nightmarish five months for the friar. He and his family received death threats and were kept under surveillance, but he remained publicly silent about his torture and the guerrilla's confession. He even unraveled the cuffs of his brown habit to conceal the wounds on his wrists and hands. As for Coroy, he was also beaten and lashed by the soldiers for hours and left for dead on a road near Paramos. However, he survived and now bears witness to Friar Augusto's heroism. Historian Anna Ramirez, Friar Augusto's niece, recalled what happened later. In an interview, she said her family offered him international airline tickets. He refused to leave, she said, and told them, God wills it. He knows how to protect me. I accept whatever he sends. As the entire extended family was frightened by surveillance and death threats, Ramirez said that her mother eventually wrote a letter to Guatemalan authorities, swearing that she would not further pursue demands for clarification of the crime. On November 5, 1983, Friar Augusto celebrated his 46th birthday and was in Guatemala City to receive a fellow Franciscan at the airport. How his abduction took place has not been revealed, but by the next evening, his tortured body was found along the road in the capital. The national police promised to find the culprits, but their investigation languished. On November 8th, the Archdiocese of Guatemala issued a statement saying, It is with great sorrow that the diocesan curia and the Franciscan order announced that Father Augusto Ramirez Monasterio was murdered. This unspeakable crime was committed against an exemplary priest and adds to the attacks against the Catholic Church, which have been repeatedly denounced by its pastors. The Archdiocese of Guatemala declares that anyone who attacks a sacred person is thereby excommunicated. A presidential spokesman claimed the killing was committed by subversives seeking division between the government and the Catholic Church, and disavowed any involvement in the priest's death. Years later, however, the extent of the government's surveillance and threats was revealed. 
The perpetrators of the crime were never brought to justice, explained Ramirez, who said that her uncle's eyeglasses and bloodstained robes that had bound him were found in his truck. On November 9th, Friar Augusto's body was taken from the capital to the church in Antigua, which was filled with mourners despite fears of retaliation. The young musicians he mentored played music at the funeral mass. He was buried in the church of San Francisco El Grande, not far from the tomb of St. Peter Betancourt, a Spanish Franciscan missionary of the 1600s, also revered for charitable works. Friar Augusto was soon proclaimed a martyr by many Guatemalans, especially poor Maya. In 2006, Cardinal Rodolfo Guzada Toruño began the beatification process on the basis of martyrdom. In an interview with the Register, Friar Edwin revealed that he is assured that Friar Augusto's cause is advancing at the Vatican after the local church recently commemorated the 40th anniversary of his death. Father Augusto's spirit still lives, Friar Edwin said, and when I was asked at the Vatican this year, what purpose does his beatification serve? We Franciscans responded that the secret of confession thus remains alive. He added that the Church of San Francisco El Grande, where Friar Augusto served, is now known as the Sanctuary of Mercy. Priests hear confessions before Masses from 6.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. every day. Wow. You know, in a way, it kind of recalls Perpetua, too. It's just like, you think of these martyrs and you realize how lucky we are. Yeah. And there is actually different types of martyrdom. According to the hagiography circle, there are five types of martyrdom. In odium fidei, being killed due to hatred of faith. Ex aramunis carceres, dying in prison for the faith. In defensum castitatis, being killed while defending virginal purity. Per testimonium caritatis fortis, being killed as a result of heroic charity, and ex assertatibus et vexation busque profidiae quibus pertulit, dying as a result of physical or moral violence endured for the sake of the faith. I'm not an expert, but honestly, he could fall under a couple of these. That's what I was thinking as you were reading them. I was like, yeah, he might check a couple boxes there. Yeah. Killed due to hatred of the faith, dying in prison for the faith, heroic charity, as well as dying as a result of physical or moral violence endured for the sake of the faith. But why his story brought that to my attention is simply that it's a bit of an uncommon story for martyrdom. Normally, it's just them round up a bunch of Christians or something like that and killing them. But him, it was specifically regarding this confession yeah the sacrament of confession to non-christian catholics is so alien to them if you talk to a protestant it's usually like well why do you have to do that i don't know if it's their number one problem with catholicism that's probably mary but yeah (laughs) it's right up there you know and they're just like well i don't understand i don't understand why you have to do that yeah and then you get like these conspiracy theories regarding it too like, I was told the priests will be, like, huddled around, snickering about the confessions that they heard and telling it to the other priests and such, and or using that as blackmail against the person, like, all this stuff, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> the Franciscan friar who confirmed me 
was a noted confessor. I believe he had gotten some award or, or recommendation from Pope Francis for being this noted confessor, right? He took it so seriously that he said there was some law that was going to be passed or something that might impinge on the sacrament of confession. And he said, they'll have to kill me before I break the binds of confession. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you that I know at least in my state, it's actually a part of Georgia law, common law, not case law, like written in the law books regarding that priests are not to be put on the stand to testify about what they heard in confession. Yeah. Like that's literally a privilege, and it is illegal for a court to ask them to do this. Under common law, it is the clerical privilege. So it's understood, at least in the United States, that no court can have a priest testify to what they told. And the privilege actually is stronger and extends more than the attorney-client privilege. Oh, interesting. In the attorney-client privilege, if we have a client saying, oh, as soon as I walk out of here, I'm going to go kill somebody or something, we may, we don't have to, but we may go and call the police or s about it or try and otherwise do something about it. Mm -hmm. Priests, the example I was told, I could be wrong about this, this could be an exaggeration, but what I was told is that they're even to their behavior, they're not to act on the knowledge that they were given. So the example I was told is like, if, if somebody in confession told them, oh, I put a bomb on this plane, and just so happened to be a plane that the priest was going to be flying on, then the priest is to like, still get on the plane. <laughs> like, wow. I don't know. An example, an example of how strong and serious that privilege is. Yeah. The other thing about it is, and regarding that sort of conspiracy you were talking about, Father Steve, the priest I, I mentioned, the, the friar I mentioned, was talking to a group of us about confession. And he said that, you know, people often come in like for, you know, a second or third or however many, you know, confessions later. And they'll say, remember when I told you blank? And he said... No. He said, I don't remember. He said, there's something about confession where you bring people in, you forgive the sins, and you kind of forget them yourself. So I guess, you know, they're not holding them against you either. So they're easily forgotten, I think, for the priest, yeah, too. I've heard that, too. And I mean, in my own experience, I once, during confession, spoke to the priest about, like, a really deadly, serious matter in my family and like outside of the confessional i met him again um just like hey father and just started trying to talk to him about it and he's like what what I, I don't know what you're talking about what, what what and like it took a lot of jogging of his memory before he was like oh yeah yeah i do remember that wow yeah that's interesting that's really interesting This next article is, again, from the Catholic News Agency from January 29th, 2024. Detroit Cathedral to unveil long-awaited relics, life-size statues of 12 apostles. At the Cathedral of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Detroit, the band is getting back together. The band of Christ's 12 apostles, that is. On February 8th, 
Detroit's Mother Church will publicly unveil its long-awaited Journey with the Saints project, a permanent installation of 14 larger-than-life statues accompanied by first-class relics of each apostle. The latest accomplishment in the cathedral's ongoing mission to turn itself into an apostolic center in the city of Detroit. Archbishop Alan H. Vegneron will join Father J.J. Mech, rector of the cathedral, to dedicate the new installation during a special event at 7 p.m. From its central perch on Woodward Avenue, the looming Gothic Cathedral of the Archdiocese of Detroit stands out in its neighborhood. Following Vigneron's instruction to turn the church into a cathedral of the arts, Mecca spent the last several years converting the cathedral into a hub of missionary activity and beauty, drawing people to the faith via shallow entry points, that's in quotes. Our goal is that we are going to be more accessible to the people off of Woodward, Mech told Detroit Catholic. We want this to be a flexible public space, maybe even a community hub for not only spiritual enrichment but cultural enrichment, and it will be a safe place, and we will have security and all of that. The name Cathedral of the Arts, Mech explained, is a reminder that the proof of God is beauty, a principle that guides each of the new initiatives he and his team have undertaken on the cathedral's campus. The latest project, the installation of seven-and-a-half-foot-tall statues and relics encircling the cathedral's interior worship space, is the crowning jewel of those efforts, transforming the cathedral into a permanent pilgrimage site guided by the men who knew Christ most intimately during his time on earth. Complete with first-class relics, the new installation is among the first of its kind in North America, bringing together all twelve of Christ's apostles for veneration and the only exhibit in the world with the relics accessible in this way. The 14 statues, including two eight-foot angels, each were carved from a single tree trunk in St. Ulrich Groden in modern-day Italy in 1927. The statues were rescued from St. Benedict Church in Highland Park, which closed in 2014. After undergoing extensive restoration, the statues were installed in the cathedral's nave in December. The statues include two angels, ten of the original twelve apostles, St. Paul and St. Matthias, the apostle who replaced Judas. Mech discovered that he had relics corresponding to the 12 saints, part of the collection of nearly 200 relics owned by the cathedral, all of which he hopes to be available to one day put on display. That's good news. The relics and signage were installed beneath each statue beginning on January 8th in time for the dedication and blessing of the new reliquary pilgrimage on February 8th. I am so excited about the transformation that is happening, Mech said. When you come in, there will be three main signs that tell you how to go on a pilgrimage, what the goal of the pilgrimage is, and how to interact with these relics. Pilgrims are going to walk away transformed, different, and they are going to enter through prayer. Journey with the Saints is much more than a museum of the church history, Mech said, but a rare opportunity to invoke the help of Catholicism's greatest saints. It's not just about looking at a pretty statue and touching some bones. Pilgrims are going to have a purpose when they walk away, Mech said. People can decide what they want intercession for, what they are hoping for when they pray to a particular saint. And when they walk away, they'll keep praying for that. This is amazing. And it's, yeah. it sort of locks into something we've been talking about on the Flower Path Discord, which if you're a patron, you get access to our Discord server, about rescuing relics. And when I talked to Brother Richard last, and we had our Q&A, he was talking about simony and that we are not to buy relics. I had some relics come up here on an auction recently, and my wife was going to get them for me. She's not Catholic, and I told her, nah, probably shouldn't do that. But it 
brought this idea to mind, like about rescuing relics and like returning them to churches or monasteries or other appropriate places. And we've discussed doing that, having a sort of flowered path relic rescue, where we get these relics not for ourselves and return them to the church because there's a kind of distasteful secondary market for relics out there. Yeah, and I mean, in that discussion, I had some relics in my online cart, and I'm just like painfully removing them from the cart. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I had messed up before I knew this. I didn't know it was a sin. I had messed up myself, and it doesn't mean the relics aren't any good, but it, it, you know, just don't do it again kind of thing, you know? Yeah, they really are best with the church, because that's, I don't know, at least for me, even when I was looking at like getting some of them i was just like then what am i gonna do with it stick it in a drawer somewhere like i i don't have some gold reliquary to put it in or you know right yeah <laughs> the relic that my wife found at the auction was from the body of saint seton so this was um, literally part of her body I, you couldn't tell it was a very small picture you know in the auction of yeah. what it was it would presume either hair or bone or something I don't know, but we're talking about body parts of saints here, you know? I think yeah. they belong with the church. I really do. Yeah. And this was fully legit. It had the original stamp from the, you know, Baltimore Diocese from whenever this was issued, you know, way back when. Came in a, in a really beautiful reliquy and stuff. And who knows where it went. My wife was kind of watching the auction and doesn't know who won the bid or anything. These should be returned. You know, there's a shrine to Elizabeth Ann Seton not far from here. Yeah, that's where it should have gone, really. But maybe in the future, if we do this flower path relic rescue, we can save things like that and get them to where they should be. That would make me very happy. Yeah. Another thing about the relics being with the church is then you get things like this article. You know, you get these great displays. It gives you reason to visit the churches and such. So Mm -hmm. I have that powerful devotion to... St. Gemma, and whenever I find a church that has her relic there, that's where I want to go. Yeah. And every time I visit, like if the wife is doing choir practice or something, I'll spend some time in front of her relic. And I often think, like, that's where she would want to be. She would want to be there next to the altar while Mass is happening. Every Sunday, better than, again, having part of her body stuffed in some drawer in my house or something, you know? Yeah. If they're in a church, then they can be venerated by more than just one person. They're not just part of somebody's collection. I think it's just generally a good idea. Yeah. And as Brother Richard said, if you're know if you meant to have relics, they'll kind of find their way to you. And I, I believe that's true as well. I've heard that a lot of stories like that, especially with St. Gemma, it's probably because her body and relics are in the care of the passionist order rather than like directly from the Vatican. So they have a little bit more freedom of what they want to do with these things. But I've heard stories about that where like, Oh, I was, I don't know. It just seems like she's the one, you know, people be like, Oh, I was gifted a first class relic of her, um, Hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> Garbandal is a conversation for another day, but the items that were kissed by the apparition at Garbandal, Spain, 
And this apparition has not been approved by the church. So that's why I'm saying it's a conversation for another day, but they're becoming increasingly rare. And I do see them on eBay being sold for thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. But if you are interested in this and if you sort of reach out and inquire, they are around and there are people who will give them to you. You don't have to pay that for them. They're around and people will see that you get one. It makes me wonder, you know, when I see these massive prices, you know, like sometimes hundreds of dollars usually, but sometimes I've seen one recently. I think they had a, I don't know if it's sold, but I think they had like a $2,000 price tag on it on eBay. They're around, you know, I've been sent several just inquiring about Garvindal to different people. So, you know, be careful. I say, you know, be careful with this stuff. There are some bad actors out there. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so next we're going to hear the story of St. Perpetua. This is a reading of the Passion of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. If the old examples of faith which testify to the grace of God and lead to the edification of men were written down so that by reading them God should be honored and man comforted, as if through a re-examination of those deeds, should we not set down new acts that serve each purpose equally? For these two will some day also be venerable and compelling for future generations, even if at the present time they are judged to be of lesser importance due to the respect naturally afforded the past. 
But let those who would restrict the singular power of the one spirit to certain times understand this, that newer events are necessarily greater because they are more recent, because of the overflow of grace promised for the end of time. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and their sons and daughters shall prophesy, and I will pour out my spirit on my servants and handmaidens, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And we, who also acknowledge and honor the new prophecies and new visions as well, according to the promise, and regard the other virtues of the Holy Spirit as intended for the instruction of the church, to which church the same Spirit was sent, distributing all gifts to all, just as the Lord grants to each one. Therefore, out of necessity, we both proclaim and celebrate them in reading for the glory of God, lest any person who is weak or despairing in their faith should think that only the ancients received divine grace, either in the favor of martyrdom or of revelations, since God always grants what he has promised as a proof to the unbelievers and as a kindness to believers. And so we also announce to you, our brothers and little sons, that which we have heard and touched, so that you who are present may be reminded of the glory of the Lord, and that you who know it now through hearing may have a sharing with the holy martyrs, and through them with our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Some young catechumens were arrested, Revocatus and Felicity, his fellow slave, Saturninus and Secundulus, and among these was also Vibia Perpetua, a woman well-born, liberally educated, and honorably married, who had a father, mother, and two brothers, one of whom was also a catechumen. She had an infant son still at the breast, and was about twenty-two years of age, from this point, there follows a complete account of her martyrdom as she left it, written in her own hand in accordance with her own understanding. While, she said, we were still with the prosecutors, my father, because of his love for me, wanted to change my mind and shake my resolve. Father, I said, do you see this vase lying here? For example, this small water pitcher or whatever. I see it, he said, and I said to him, Can it be called by any name other than what it is? And he said, No. In the same way, I am unable to call myself other than what I am, a Christian. Then my father, angered by this name, threw himself at me in order to gouge out my eyes. But he only alarmed me, and he left defeated, along with the arguments of the devil. Then for a few days, freed from my father, I gave thanks to the Lord and was refreshed by my father's absence. In the space of a few days we were baptized. The Spirit told me that nothing else should be sought from the water other than the endurance of the body. After a few days we were taken into the prison. I was terrified because I had never before known such darkness. Oh, cruel day, the crowding of the mob made the heat stifling, and there was the exhortation of the soldiers. Last of all, I was consumed with worry for my infant in that dungeon. Then Tertius and Pomponius, the blessed deacons who ministered to us, 
arranged by a bribe that we should be released for a few hours to revive ourselves in a better part of the prison. Then all who left the prison and sought some time for themselves. I nursed my baby, who was now weak from hunger. In my worry for him, I spoke to my mother concerning the baby and comforted my brother. I entrusted my son to them. I suffered grievously when I saw how they suffered for me. I endured such worry for many days, and I arranged for my baby to stay in prison with me. Immediately I grew stronger, and I was relieved of the anxiety and worry I had for my baby. Suddenly the prison became my palace, so that I wanted to be there rather than anywhere else. Then my brother said to me, Lady, my sister, you are now greatly esteemed, so much so that you might ask for a vision, and it may be shown to you whether there will be suffering or freedom. And I, who knew that I was able to speak with the Lord, whose great benefits I had known, confidently promised him, saying, Tomorrow I will tell you. And I asked, and this was shown to me. I see a bronze ladder of great length reach up to heaven, but so narrow that people could only climb up one at a time, and on the sides of the ladder iron implements of every kind were attached. There were swords, lances, hooks, knives, and daggers, so that if anyone climbed up carelessly or not looking upwards, he was torn to pieces and his flesh clung to the iron weapons. And there was a serpent of great size lying at the foot of the ladder, which would lie in wait for those who climbed and deterred them from climbing. And the first to go up was Satyrus, because he had been our teacher and because he had not been present when we were seized. He later voluntarily handed himself over for our sake. And he reached the top of the ladder and he turned back to me and said, Perpetua, I am waiting for you, but be careful that the serpent does not bite you. And I said, In the name of Jesus Christ, he will not hurt me. And from beneath the ladder itself, the serpent slowly stuck out its head, as if it feared me, and I stepped on its head, and climbed up as if it were the first step. And I saw an enormous garden, and a white-haired man sitting in the middle of it, dressed in shepherd's clothes, a big man, milking sheep, and standing around were many thousands dressed in white. And he raised his head, looked at me, and said, You are welcome here, child. And he called me, and from the cheese that he had milked, he gave me, as it were, a mouthful. And I received it in my cupped hands and ate it. And all those standing around said, Amen. And I woke up at the sound of their voice, still eating some unknown sweet. And at once I told this to my brother, and we knew we would suffer, and we ceased to have any hope in this world. A few days later, a rumor circulated that we were to be given a hearing. My father arrived from the city, worn with worry. He climbed up to me in order to change my mind, saying, My daughter, have pity on my gray hair. Have pity on your father. If I am worthy to be called father by you, if with these hands I have raised you to this flower of youth, if I have preferred you to all your brothers, do not shame me among men. Think about your brothers, think about your mother and your mother's sister. Think about your son who will not be able to live without you. Give up your pride, do not destroy us all, 
for if you are punished, none of us will be able to speak freely again. My father said these things to me, as a father would, out of his love for me, kissing my hands and throwing himself at my feet. Weeping, he no longer called me daughter, but lady, and I grieved for my father's anguish because he alone of all my family would not rejoice in my suffering. And I tried to comfort him, saying, What God has willed shall be done in the prisoner's platform. Know that we are no longer in our own power, but in God's, and in great sadness he left me. On another day, while we were eating lunch, we were suddenly rushed off for a hearing. We arrived at the forum, and immediately a rumor circulated throughout the neighborhood surrounding the forum, and a huge crowd had gathered. We climbed the platform. The others, having been questioned, confessed. Then they came to me. And my father appeared in that very place with my son, and dragged me from the steps, saying, Offer the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. And Hilarionus, the procurator, who at that time had received the right of the sword on the death of proconsul Minucius Timenaeus, said, Spare the gray hair of your father, spare your infant son, offer the sacrifice for the help of the emperors. I will not, I answered. Hilarion then said, Are you a Christian? I am a Christian, I replied. And when my father persisted in his efforts to change my mind, Hilarionus ordered him to be thrown to the ground and beaten with a rod. My father's suffering made me sad, almost as if I had been beaten. I grieved for his pitiable old age. Then Hilarionus pronounced sentence on us all and condemned us to the beasts. And we descended the platform and returned cheerfully to prison. But because my baby had become accustomed to nurse at my breast and to stay with me in prison, I immediately sent Pomponius the deacon to ask my father for the child. But my father would not give him back, and as God willed, the baby no longer desired my breasts, nor did they ache and become inflamed so that I might not be tormented by worry for my child or by the pain in my breasts. A few days later, while we were all praying, suddenly in the midst of our prayer, a voice came to me, and I cried out the name of Dinocratus. I was shocked because never before then had his name entered my mind, and I grieved as I remembered his fate, and I knew at once that I was worthy and that I ought to pray for him, and I began to pray intensely for him and groan before the Lord. Immediately on that very night, this vision was... A few days later, while we were all praying, suddenly in the midst of our prayer, a voice came to me, and I cried out the name of Dinocratus. I was shocked, because never before then had his name entered my mind, and I grieved as I remembered his fate, and I knew at once that I was worthy and I ought to pray for him, and I began to pray intensely for him and groan before the Lord. Immediately on that very night this vision was shown to me. I saw Dinocratus coming out of a dark place where there were many others. He was very hot, thirsting, and his face was covered with dirt, and his skin was pale, 
and he had that wound on his face which was there when he died. This Dinocratus was my brother in the flesh, who died horribly at the age of seven from a cancer of the face. All men who saw it loathed the manner of his death. Therefore I prayed for him, but between him and me there was a great gulf so that we were not able to get close to each other. Moreover, in that place where Dinocratus was, there was a pool full of water with a rim that was higher than the height of the boy, and Dinocratus stretched himself up as if to drink. I was saddened because although the pool had water in it, he was not able to drink because of the height of the rim. And I awakened, and I knew that my brother was suffering, but I trusted that I could help him in his suffering. And I prayed for him every day until we were transferred to the military prison, for we were to fight in the military games. It was on the birthday of Geta Caesar. And I prayed day and night for my brother, with groans and tears, so that this gift might be given to me. On the day in which we were kept in the stocks, this vision was shown to me. I saw that place which I had seen before, but now there was Dinocratus, his body clean, well-dressed, and refreshed. And where the wound was, I saw a scar, and that pool which I had seen earlier, I now saw with its rim lowered to the boy's navel, and he drew water from it without ceasing. And above the rim there was a golden cup full of water, and Dinocratus began to drink from it, but the cup never emptied. When his thirst was quenched, he began to play in the water, rejoicing in the manner of children. And I woke up. I knew then that he was freed from his suffering. Then, after a few days, Pudens, the military adjutant, who was in charge of the prison, began to show us considerable respect, recognizing that there was some great power in us. He allowed many to visit us so that we were able to comfort one another. Now, when the day of the games drew near, my father, devastated with worry, came to visit me, and he began to tear out his beard and to throw it on the ground. He then threw himself on his face, and cursing his ears, spoke such words to me as might move creation itself. I grieved for his unhappy old age. On the day before we were to fight, I saw in a vision, Pomponius, the deacon, had come to the door of the prison and was knocking loudly, and I went out and opened the door for him. He was wearing a white unbelted robe and multi-lace sandals, and he said to me, Perpetua, we are awaiting you, come. And he took me by the hand and we began to walk through places that were rugged and winding. And finally, after great difficulty, we arrived at the amphitheater, all out of breath, and he led me into the middle of the arena, and he said to me, Don't be afraid, I am here with you, and I will struggle with you. And he went away. And I saw many people who were astonished, and because I knew that I had been condemned to the beasts, I was puzzled that the beasts were not being turned loose on me. And a certain Egyptian, foul in appearance and intending to fight with me, came out against me, surrounded by his helpers. Handsome young men came to me as my helpers and supporters, and I was stripped naked, and I became a man. And my supporters began to rub me with oil, as they are accustomed to do for a match. And I saw that Egyptian on the other side rolling in the dust. 
Next there came out a man of such great size that he exceeded the height of the amphitheater. He was wearing an unbelted robe, a purple garment with two stripes running down the middle of his chest, and decorated shoes made of gold and silver, and carrying a rod or wand as if a gladiator trainer, and a green branch on which there were golden apples. And he asked for silence and said, This Egyptian, if he defeats this woman, will kill her with the sword. But if she defeats him, she shall receive this branch. And he departed. And we drew near to each other and began to throw punches at each other. He kept trying to grab hold of my feet while I kept kicking him in his face with my heels. And I was raised up in the air and I began to strike him, stepping on his face, as though I were unable to step on the ground. But when I saw that there was a hesitation, I joined my hands so that my fingers were knit together, and I grabbed hold of his head, and he fell on his face, and I stepped on his head. And the crowd began to shout, and my supporters began to sing hymns. And I went to the gladiator trainer, and I took the branch, and he kissed me, and he said to me, Daughter, peace be with you. And I began to walk in triumph to the gate. And then I woke up, and I knew that I was going to fight with the devil and not with the beast, but I knew that victory was to be mine. This is the story of what I did the day before the final conflict, but concerning the outcome of that contest, let whoever wishes to write about it do so. As for Felicity... The Lord's favor touched her in this way. She was now in her eighth month, for she was pregnant when she was arrested. As the day of the games drew near, she was in agony, fearing that her pregnancy would spare her, since it was not permitted to punish pregnant women in public, and that she would pour forth her holy and innocent blood afterwards, along with common criminals. But also her fellow martyrs were deeply saddened that they might leave behind so good a friend, their companion, to travel alone on the road to their shared hope. And so, two days before the games, they joined together in one united supplication, groaning and poured forth their prayer to the Lord. Immediately after their prayer, her labor pains came upon her. And when, because of the natural difficulty associated with an eight-month delivery, she suffered in her labor. One of the assistant jailers said to her, If you are suffering so much now, what will you do when you are thrown to the beast which you scorned when you refused to sacrifice? And she replied, Now I alone suffer what I am suffering, but then there will be another inside me who will suffer for me because I am going to suffer for him. And she gave birth to a baby girl whom a certain sister brought up as her own daughter. Therefore, since the Holy Spirit has given permission that the narrative of this contest be written down, and by such permission has willed it, although we are unworthy to add to the description of such great glory, nevertheless we shall carry out the command of the Most Holy Perpetua, or rather her sacred trust, adding one further example of her resolve and sublimity of spirit. The tribune treated them with great cruelty because of the warnings of the most devious of men. He feared that they would be carried off from prison through magical incantations. Perpetua said directly to his face, Why do you not permit us to refresh ourselves? 
we, the most noble of the condemned belonging to Caesar, who are to fight on his birthday, would it not be to your credit if we were brought forth well fed? The tribune was horrified and flushed, and he ordered them to be treated more humanely, so that her brothers and others might be granted the chance to visit and be refreshed with the prisoners. For now, even the adjutant in charge of the prison was a believer. And then on the day before the games, when at that last meal which they call free, they partake as far as it was possible, not of a free meal, but a love feast. They boldly flung their words at the mob, threatening them with the judgment of God, bearing witness to the happiness they found in their suffering, and mocking the curiosity of those who jostled to see them. Satyrus said, Will not tomorrow be enough for you? Why do you long to see that which you hate? Today our friends, tomorrow our enemies. But take a good look at our faces so that you will be able to recognize us on that day. And so the crowd left the prison stunned, and many of them became believers. The day of their victory dawned, and they marched from the prison to the amphitheater joyously, as if going to heaven, their faces radiant and if by chance they trembled, it was from joy and not from fear. Perpetua followed with a shining face and a calm step as a wife of Christ and darling of God, and the intensity of her stare caused the spectators to look away. Likewise, Felicity rejoiced that she had given birth safely, so that she might fight with the beasts, advancing from blood to blood, and from the midwife to a net-bearing gladiator, now to be washed after childbirth in a second baptism. And when they were led to the gate, they were forced to put on costumes, the men, those of the priests of Saturn, and the women, those of the priestesses of Ceres. But that noble-minded woman fiercely resisted this to the end. She said, We came here freely so that our freedom might not be violated, and we handed over our lives so that we would not be forced to do anything like this. We had this agreement with you. Injustice recognized justice. The tribune agreed that they should be brought in dressed simply as they were. Perpetua was singing a hymn, already trampling on the head of the Egyptian. Revocatus, Saturninus, and Satyrus were threatening the spectators. Then when they passed under the gaze of Hilarionus, they began to say to him through gestures and nods, you judge us, but God will judge you. The crowd, angered by this, demanded that they be whipped along the line of beast-hunting gladiators, and they gave thanks that they had obtained some share in the Lord's sufferings. But he who said, Ask and ye shall receive, gave to those who asked the death that each desired. For whenever they spoke among themselves concerning their desire for martyrdom, Saturninus declared that he wished to be thrown to all the different kinds of beasts so that he might wear a more glorious crown. And so at the beginning of the spectacle, he and Revocatus were attacked by a leopard, and then while on the platform, they were charged by a bear. Satyrus hated nothing more than a bear, and now he was confident that he would die from one bite of a leopard. However, he who was offered to a wild boar 
yet it was the hunter who had tied him to the wild boar who was gored by the same beast and died a few days after the games. Satyrus himself was only dragged, and when he was tied on the bridge awaiting the bear, the bear refused to leave its cage, and so Satyrus, unhurt, was called back for the second time. For the young women, however, the devil prepared a wild cow, not a traditional practice, matching their sex with that of the beast, and so stripped naked and covered only with nets, they were brought out again. The crowd shuddered, seeing that one was a delicate young girl, and that the other had recently given birth as her breasts were still dripping with milk. So they were called back and dressed in unbelted robes. Perpetua was thrown down first and fell on her loins. Then sitting up, she noticed that her tunic was ripped on the side, and so she drew it up to cover her thigh, more mindful of her modesty than her suffering. Then she requested a pin, and she tied up her tousled hair, for it was not right for a martyr to suffer with disheveled hair, since it might appear that she was grieving in her moment of glory. Then she got up, and when she saw Felicity crushed to the ground, she went over to her, gave her her hand, and helped her up, and the two stood side by side, the cruelty of the crowd now being sated. They were called back to the gate. There Perpetua was received by a certain Rusticus, also a catechumen who clung to her side. She awakened as if from a sleep. She was so deep in the spirit and in ecstasy, and looked about her and said to the amazement of all, When are we to be thrown to the mad cow or whatever it is? And when she heard that it had already happened, she refused at first to believe it until she noticed certain marks of physical violence on her body and her clothing. Then, after calling her brother and the catechumen, she spoke to them, saying, Stand fast in faith and love one another, and do not lose heart because of our sufferings. At another gate, Satyrus was exhorting the soldier Putin, saying, It is exactly, he said, as I imagined and predicted. Until now no beast has touched me, and now you must believe this with all your heart. See, I will go in there and be killed by one bite from a leopard. And immediately at the end of the game, a leopard rushed out and bit Satyrus. He was so covered with blood from one bite that as he was returning, the crowd roared in witness to his second baptism. A saving bath, a saving bath. For truly one was saved who had bathed in such manner. Then he said to the soldier Pudens, Farewell, remember the faith and me, and do not let these things trouble you, but strengthen you. At the same time, he asked Pudens for the small ring from his finger, and dipping it into his wound, he returned it to him as a legacy, leaving it to him as a pledge and a memorial of his blood. Then, being now unconscious, he was thrown with the others in the accustomed place to have his throat cut, but the crowd demanded that they be brought back to the middle of the arena so as the sword penetrated the bodies of the martyrs, their eyes might be accomplices to the murder. The martyrs got up unaided and moved to where the crowd wished them to be. First they kissed each other so that the ritual of peace would seal their martyrdom. The others, in silence and without moving, received the sword's thrust, and particularly Satyrus, who had first climbed up the ladder, was the first to give up his spirit. 
for once again he was waiting for Perpetua. Perpetua, however, so that she might taste something of the pain, screamed out in agony as she was pierced between the bones. And when the right hand of the novice gladiator wavered, she herself guided it to her throat. Perhaps such a woman, feared as she was by the unclean spirit, could not have been killed unless she herself had willed it. O bravest and most blessed martyrs, O truly called and chosen for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, anyone who praises, honors, and adores his glory surely should read these deeds, which are no less worthy than the old ones for building up the church. For these new deeds of courage, too, may witness that one and the same Holy Spirit is always working among us even now, along with God the Father Almighty, and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, tomb is glory and endless power, forever and ever. Amen. These early church martyrs, can you imagine what it must have been like back then? And what's the Roman Empire, the greatest force in the world at that point? They're saying, you know, you have to sacrifice and, and worship to our gods. And these early Christians are just like, no. Yeah. And in particular, in her case, it was part of a celebration for the emperor's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Wow. I mean, again, like to me, it literally sounded unbelievable. Like to me, that just sounds like cartoonish evil, but like, yeah, just like something out of a Saturday morning cartoon or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what went down back then. Her autobiography is a source for the historians. There are books written about it. I mean, I, I've been reading them and there's really nothing in dispute in this account. Wow. It's historical. There's a lot of interesting facts that we learn about ancient Roman life from it. The interaction between St. Perpetua and her father mm -hmm. is yeah. considered a bit unusual. Just simply, she seems to have been someone highly regarded in her own home and that others regarded highly. I think that it speaks a lot to her maturity, like her emotional maturity, intellectual maturity, as well as spiritual maturity. And especially just for the fact that this account was written down. So she writes the first part of it, and then obviously she dies, and so somebody else writes the rest of it, yeah. recounting her death with the other martyrs. And I think that speaks to how important she was to people. Saints Perpetua and Felicity together are considered patron saints of mothers, expectant mothers, ranchers, and butchers. Their feast day, which is also celebrated together, is March 7th, and it's believed they died in the year 203.
Justin, you have a Substack where you cover material that is relevant to the podcast. So if you want to plug that and talk about that a little bit, please do. Yes. So I am an astrologer. I was trained through Benabelle Wen's astrology course. And after that, I've been interacting with professional astrologers, some of them quite well known. And I use some obscure methods that confuses other astrologers. But my main work is through the Catholic Church. It's always worth noting that astrology, again, we covered this when we talked about it before, it is not prohibited by the church. No, it isn't. And I recently found out due to another astrologer that I work with, Nostradamus is pretty much proof of that. He was an astrologer and he was a Catholic, but the Catholic Church never condemned him his astrology ah, even though he were wanting he was condemned for other reasons right right not his astrology anyway i use astrology to sort of i mean i guess you have to believe that astrology works first but essentially confirm the events of the catholic church so the miracles the saints it's just been an amazing journey because it teaches so much St. Perpetua is one of them. Now, I could not, like, we just don't know when she was born. We have a rough idea of a year, like, essentially one or two years off, but that's useless Mm -hmm. (laughs) for astrology. We we need things very exact. But these feast days that the church keeps, the deaths of the saints are very important. And the church doesn't really mess that up. (laughs) This is the advantage of sacred tradition, you know? The fact that the church has been around since the time of Jesus. This stuff gets passed down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you can't always work from the feast days on the liturgical calendar because sometimes they are just, like, moved around, especially Mm -hmm. after the Second Vatican Council. A lot was rearranged, but... For most saints, the feast day that is kept on the calendar is the day that they died. And for Perpetua, again, a lot of historical investigation was done through her autobiography. They do talk about when it happened, when uh, the games happened, and there's some other corroborating accounts. So we do have the date of her death. It was March 6, 2003. And so I calculated because i'm using computers and mathematics to do this it's not magic but i created a chart for it and did some investigation on it looked at the planetary associations and it sure enough it shows that there was some blood sport that happened and it was killing christians (laughs) i specialize in looking at events through astrology. I don't really do the personality thing too much. You look at um, what I write there, I spend almost no time on the personalities, but rather seeing like the events as they happen through there, what's going on, and particularly what often has to happen for a miracle to occur. Your substack can be found. I will put links in the show notes, but do you have the link? astrologyofthesaints.substack.com All right, and that link will be in the show notes. I also put a link on theflowerpath.com in the about section for that. 
people can check it out. And your other writings as well. I know you have some stuff on St. Gemma and I forget what else you have up there. Oh, yes. Occasionally I do write other articles on there. Usually when I do, it's actually other people asking me to. I'll be in conversation with somebody and they'll be like, I don't want to know more about this. So I have up there... My favorite is probably what I called the non-problem of evil. Again, that that was something that I was in discussion with some people, and they were like, you should write this up. I just did it in one sitting. It's a bit of a rant, but I have very strong feelings about that, where I just do not understand how evil is a problem <laughs> for Christianity, especially Catholicism. The Catholic Church never said there won't be evil and suffering, so why is this a question? Yeah. Um, yeah. Another is the Catholic Church as God's kingdom on earth. That's about authority and hierarchy, which I think people in the Western world today just either forgot about or have a real problem with. It's something I wrestle with myself. You know, and a big part of humbling myself and coming back to the church was, as I like to put it, realizing I'm not the smartest guy in the room and just going back and saying, like, I'm going to follow the rules. I don't make the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm about to go off on it. <laughs> I have strong feelings about it. it. It's something I think that is like the big stumbling block for people. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is that type of intellectual pride. We can certainly do a whole show on that at some point, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, once again, I'll put the links in the show notes. Go ahead and just give the link one more time. Astrologyofthesaints.substack.com. All right. I will check it out. I'm sure others will as well. And if you like what you heard on The Flower Path, please subscribe and follow wherever you're listening. If you feel inclined to leave a nice review, that would help as well. If you could subscribe to The Flower Path on YouTube, even if you don't listen there, that also helps us out trying to build up our subscribers on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more. If your crown is light, 
then let it shine on me. Shadows cast like evil behind me. Oh, mother, please hold me in your heart. Oh, mother, please hold me in your prayer. Sancho's wounds from spike and spear and thorn. Let me share the pain that he bore on that morn. Serpents under heel. But the venom fang thou shalt never feel. Oh, mother, please hold me in your heart. Mother, please hold me in your prayer. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.